A man's job was never meant to be like the tail wagging the dog. You've heard that illustration. What I mean is the tail is the job and the dog is his family. When the job becomes the most significant thing to a man, the family will become a lesser thing, a secondary thing. And sometimes when people think about job, it might be helpful to think about ministry too, whether it's your you have a full-time ministry or you have a part-time ministry and you have another career. Ministry is a synonym for job, and in this illustration or in this podcast, a job, a ministry, they can so dominate a man, be so important to a man that he begins to not see his wife as of primary importance or his family, and his wife and family can be pushed to the periphery of his life, and it will create division and dysfunction, and this problem is what happened to Biff and Mabel. I write about everything pertaining to life and godliness, things pertaining to sanctification. It is what I do. We have hundreds upon hundreds of articles on our website, as well as podcasts and and videos, and, and we have a lot of information on all sorts of topics. And so in this one, this podcast and the article on our website, I, I want to write about this idea of the job because we live in three primary spheres of our lives. We we have a family sphere, we have a work sphere, we have a church sphere, and that's how most Christians operate their lives in those three spheres simultaneously. But there needs to be a priority to those things. We don't want to be church-centered. We don't want to be job-centered. We must be family-centered. That must be 1A. The job was never meant to be the main thing in a man's life, but something that serves the main thing. And the main thing is to is to spread God's fame, uh, to live for God's glory. But you have a primary responsibility, a human responsibility, to take care of your family. And that doesn't mean exclusively providing only to where job becomes 1A and the family becomes a secondary or tertiary, tertiary matter, and that's why I want to write about that. In this article, you can read it on our website as well as this podcast that you're listening to. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is How to Change a Home from Job-Centered to God-Centered. I want to tell you the story about Biff and Mabel. I also want to as we'll look into how they got to where they are today and their their normal dysfunctional place as Biff and Mabel find themselves so often, but I also want to present to you some solutions, some practical guidance that will help you. Perchance you're a man or you're married to a man who is job-centered and, and not home or, or family-centered, or in this case, as I'm calling the podcast, how to change a home from job-centered to to God-centered. If you want to talk about it, you can always do that. Come to our forums. We have free community forums that are brought to you by those who support our ministry, who support us financially, monthly, annually. Some give donations periodically. You're welcome to do any of those things. If you would love to, it does help us. We have a lot of expenses. We have bills to pay just like you do. And we want to offer our resources freely, but in truth, they are not free. Somebody has to underwrite them, and I, I thank you for all of you who do support this ministry monthly, annually, or donate periodically. 
we have these free forums, and that's why we have them. And so if you want to talk about this, please, let's talk. Get on our forums, get your username and password, and you will be good to go. Maybe you have something else you'd like to chat about. That would be fantastic. You can do that, too. Also, as you listen to this podcast, if you have if you benefit from it, if you benefited from those in the past, if you would jump on the platform where you listen to this podcast and write a review. I asked this question in a couple of podcasts back, and, and several of you have responded. Thank you so much. Go to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to these podcasts, and and give us a five-star rating and and write a good review, and that will help us organically to rise a little higher in the rankings, which means that we'll be able to reach more people. Perhaps you can't support us financially. You could support us that way by writing reviews, also by sharing our resources with others. There is a way that you can help. And I hope that you would do that. I appeal to you to do that. And it does help us to reach more people, which is the purpose of our ministry. Thank you. How to change a home from job-centered to God-centered. Biff. Biff loved his job. He loved what he did for a living too much. In time, he forgot the primary purpose for the gift of work. Instead of Biff using his career to fulfill the calling to lead his family, that's part of what it means to be God-centered. You want to lead your family. Well, guess what? His work began to exploit him. And when your work begins to exploit you, it will begin to manage you. This travesty happens when a job controls you rather than you controlling your job. Going back to the Genesis account of creation and the purpose of work will help to bring clarity to this problem. After God created Adam, he gave him a job to do. Thus, Adam went to work, taking care of the garden all is well. Working was one of the ways that Adam could make the Lord's name great. After Adam and Eve chose to sin, their motivations flipped upside down, like say, their motivations for garden tending. Those motivations changed. Adam began to use his workspace for sinful purposes. Like, for example, like hiding from God. He, he used his work to hide from God, God in the garden, the very garden that he was supposed to tend. You see how motivations flip when sin comes into play. He took the privilege of work and transformed it into something to satisfy himself. Or in this case, to hide his shame. Sin has a way of exploiting us by by taking the good things the Lord gives to us and using them for immoral purposes. Your vocation, as well as mine, is one of the good things the Lord has given to you. And so the question is, how do you use your job? Is your job a means to help your family put God's name on display? That, that would mean that your job is just a component part. It's not the dominating thing of your life. It's not the main thing. It is one of the components that you have to put God's name on display. And because if you are married, you have a spouse, you have children, then your job serves your family so you and your family can put God's name on display. Or is your job an instrument to glorify yourself? 
by enhancing your image or your reputation. I think if a guy were honest, he would say that he can be easily tempted to find his identity in, in what he does rather than who he is in Christ. It's a natural temptation for any man to be job-centered. You ever notice when two guys meet for the first time, one of the initial questions is always, what do you do for a living? That is a very fine, okay question. And there is a reason for this query. Adam was called to do something. Doing something is how the Lord wired, <clears throat> excuse me, is how the Lord wired us men. Men are creators. Because of the fall, however, what we do for a living can become too vital and too controlling. Like Adam, we can take what God has called us to do and, and use it to promote ourselves. The garden Adam took care of soon became his new identity, a way to feel good about himself. God's fame was out, and there was a new desire for Adam to become the center of life. Now, one of the reasons Adam wanted to feel good about himself was because of how he felt after the fall. He had a deflated ego. Adam was ashamed of who he was after he sinned. And unfortunately, if you are ashamed of, of who you are and how you are thinking and how you are doing, the answer is to run to God so you can be rid of that shame. But Adam covered himself with fig leaves. He became further ensconced in his shame. He took matters into his own hands. Inherent Adamic shame is at the core of why a man would allow his job to become an idol, even to the point of destroying his family. Let me explain. When Biff and Mabel were first married, you could discern a distinct one-fleshness about them. They looked happy because they were. As Biff began to aspire for greatness on the job, his desire to promote Christ through his one flesh union waned. After a couple of promotions, he began to see his job as something more than a means to spread God's fame or provide for his family. It was not long before he became a slave to his career and his family began to suffer. The job was not serving Biff so he could lead his family more effectively. Biff was a slave to his career, which brought division into his family. Biff became a job-centered man. Mabel did not perceive the potential job threat to her union with Biff. She encouraged him to continue to strive for career advancement at work. Her appeals are not unusual. She saw the benefits of him doing well. What she did not know is how easy it is for a man to succumb to the temptations of a job. The two most natural allurements for a man to yield to are his job and a woman. Instructively, these were Adam's two primary responsibilities in the garden, to lead love, take care of his wife, to tend the garden. 
In Genesis 2.8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. In 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And in 2.18, it said, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There you see it. God created man. He gave him work to do. He gave him a woman to take care of. And those are the most natural temptations for a man to flip on its head. The temptation to succumb to a job and be a slave to the job to where it dominates you and to succumb to a woman to where temptation and sexual lust dominate you. Adam took care of the garden and his wife. There was no sin, no distraction, and no impediments until Satan walked into the garden to tempt the first couple. Sin came, which distorted everything. Adam began to use his job to cover himself while accusing his wife of their problems. Imagine that. He, he was in the middle of his job, in, in the middle of, it, of the garden, tending it. And now he began to use the garden to cover his shame. And, and then he began to accuse his wife. He compromised his wife and his career by transitioning his loyalty to himself. It no longer, he no longer desired to put God's fame on display by the work of his hands. He no longer desired to take care of his wife. Adam became a user, craving self-promotion while presuming on his wife's understanding. Mabel continued to applaud her husband's desires and his accomplishments, not realizing she was fanning his lust for self-glorification. She did not perceive the problem or know how to take care of Biff. She chose to go along with him. After a while, she began to make mental notes, tabulating how many times his job was getting in the way of their home life. Long hours at the office and, and questions from the children began to mount. As their kids became teens, they, they accepted Dad working all the time, and, and they did what kids would do in an environment like this. They found interest in other things and other people. Their boys were into sports, and their girls were into boys. Biff unwittingly gave up his parental authority as well as his call to disciple his children. He never caught when that there was a problem in his home until it was too late. Three of his four children were angry and relationally distant. This crisis was when Mabel began to resent Biff. She was no longer excited about his job promotion. She hated them. Mabel saw her family coming apart at the seams. Biff was at the height of his career, his, his real one-flesh union. Biff and his job, they are now one. He was intellectually dishonest, dishonest about the whole matter, saying, they need me, talking about his job. And uh, here it comes, I'm providing for my family. So often I have heard that as a way of spiritualizing and, and hiding behind the true reality of what your job does for you. He could have provided for his family with a lot less, but he was in denial. The job was really about Biff and his desire to be celebrated within the world that he had carved out for himself. This is how that internal shame that is inside of a man can begin to 
cause this effect on the man where he uses the job to help feel good about himself. You remember like what Adam began to do in the early hours of, of the Garden of Eden? Biff was the big man on campus, and he loved it. The more things came apart at home, the stronger the compelling to spend time at the office. You see how backward that is? You see, that's what Adam did when things began to fall apart. He ran further into the, farther into the garden. He began to use the garden as a way to compensate for what was wrong. Biff began to work longer hours. The job was more compelling than his wife. He, he was able to realize his craving for significance and power, appreciation, approval, fame, respect, honor, and acceptance fully on his job. All it cost him was a little overtime, which he was willing to accept because to be home was, was to be nagged to death. This battle put Mabel in a difficult place. She was an accomplice to her husband's craving for self-actualization through his job. She applauded him for his accomplishments. She didn't understand her man. Now she is guilty by criticizing and complaining about how much he works. Do you see the intricacy of this dilemma? She didn't really understand anthropology, and she didn't understand the doctrine of sin, harmoniology. She didn't understand how the complexity of her husband and how he wanted to work and, and how he was finding this perverse satisfaction through work. She applauded him, and then as it began to rip the family apart, she began to criticize him, which is also a wrong response. Her first mistake was how she aided and abetted him by encouraging him to work harder. Her second mistake were her criticisms, which pushed him further into his work. The first mistake was born out of innocence and ignorance. The second mistake was born out of disappointment and discouragement. Now let me stop here because there are a lot of angry women out there and and every now and then they drop by to tell me how much they they hate me because what they do is they hear something and they map their experience over it and they don't hear what I am saying and so I want to stop right here and say this as loudly as I can. I am not saying that Mabel is the primary contributor in this marriage mess, and that's what these loud, angry women will. That's the only thing that they will hear. She represents the dual tension of the victim center. If you don't understand, it doesn't matter what the issue is between you and another person. In every relational dust-up between two people, both are the victim center. And if you can't see the log in your eye, if you're unwilling to see the log in your eye, then you will always be the victim. The accent mark will always be on the victim, and you will never find the change that you desire because there is a tough tension here. Victim center, the victim center complex. And though she is not at fault, primarily like all marriage problems, there is always blame to varying degrees with both partners. And there's my caveat for those who, who their experience is so horrific and not resolved as in ongoing and is painful for them. They can only hear one way. And rather than thinking reflectively and humbly, they respond impulsively and angrily, and they miss the point. And so as I'm 
talking about the problem in this marriage. If you want to deal with this problem, if this is your issue in the marriage, yes, Biff is point A in, in a contributor to the sinfulness, but Mabel made some mistakes too. And if she's really interested in resolution of this problem, then she's got to see the problem comprehensively. The result was the tail wagging the dog. Biff needed a new understanding of work, and Mabel should understand his temptations as well as how to help him to stop turning work into a a god. She can be part of the Lord's restoration team. She can now position herself to help Biff because he is a caught man, caught in sin. The change process begins when they stop accusing each other for how they got to where they are. Biff and Mabel need to admit that their sins admit their sins in the marriage humbly. They will never change as long as they insist on launching grenades toward each other. They will never change if they try to parse out the other person's sin. Honestly, it doesn't matter who sinned at this point. They share in each other's guilt because they are one flesh. If my right hand was cut, my whole body hurts. I don't slap my right hand with my left hand because my right hand did something dumb. The proper thing to do is to use your left hand to help your right hand. This common sense notion is what a healthy body will do to itself. A healthy marriage is less about blaming each other and more about helping each other. A couple who understands one fleshness correctly will seek to do what is necessary to bring healing to the marriage union. Competitiveness within the one flesh union will lead to irreparable harm. At this point, it doesn't matter who did what. What matters is there were mistakes made by both partners. Biff and Mabel need to move on from who's right and who's wrong to mutual repentance before God and each other. Part of their repentance will be a new perspective on the purpose of work. To gain a fresh perspective, they will have to rethink and redefine why God gave us jobs. The job is supposed to be a means to fulfill the purposes of a God-centered marriage, which is to put God on display in their lives, in their family, in their community. The job serves the marriage rather than the marriage being a slave to the career. As their thinking changes about work, they will be able to make practical adjustments to his work. One of these changes should mean fewer hours at work. Biff needs to make plans to be home more than he has been in the past. Perhaps they will need to sell some things or downsize if they are in debt. We have a rule in our family that if we can't get our car into our garage, we we have too much stuff. If you can't get your car into your garage, you need to downsize. You have too much stuff. The borrower is a slave to the lender, and if they have accrued debt, it may be necessary to alter their lifestyle by unloading some stuff. We do financial, I've done financial counseling many times in the past, and I remember one time talking to a couple who they were in debt, they couldn't make their monthly bills, and they had ESPN. And I brought up the guy, brought it up, and the guy was not willing to 
to cut the cable. He was not willing to reduce his 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 package because he had to have the sports package. Well, okay, if that's where you are, then you're not repentive and your problems will continue. But as they adjust their lifestyle and Biff is at home more often, he will need to learn what it means to be at home. Being a couch potato is not the way to be at home. He wants to live out the gospel practically. One of the applications of the gospel is planning. God planned our redemption. God always plans how he interacts with us. He doesn't do it willy-nilly. Biff will need to put as much effort into how he spends time with Mabel and the children as he placed into planning his work day. As they begin to change, they should be willing, they should be able to go to their children and repent, but they must have a unified front and a practical plan when they, when they do this. You want to make sure that you get together, husband and wife, that you get together, and, and it's, it's not a unified fake front. I, I don't mean that. It's a unified, authentic front because you have been to God and you have genuinely repented and you have received the gift of repentance from the Lord, both of you, for whatever sins, whatever wrongs you have committed, the lesser or the greater, but all of them collectively, and whatever they are, you have genuinely repented to God and to each other. And so it's not a unified fake front. It is a unified, authentic, genuine front that has a practical plan attached to it. Not only does Mabel need to see a new kind of seriousness from Biff, but the children need to see it too. And that's why you need a practical plan attached to it. A unified, authentic front asking the children for uh, their forgiveness, for how the family has been led, uh, and then a plan of action to move forward. The more Mabel experiences leadership care from Biff, the more she will be compelled to join him in their newfound mission of putting God on display through their marriage. Biff, it's really on you. This problem is because of you. I talked about Mabel's culpability earlier because I couldn't ignore that because there is the center victim construct. But Biff, don't forget the accent mark is on you. Make it easy for Mabel to submit and follow your leadership. Biff, she will be more compelled to join you on this mission if you do this authentically, decisively, intentionally. Now, perhaps your children will be too hurt or too angry to get on board. If your children have been experiencing this kind of leadership for years, more than a decade, well, they probably won't get on. Some of them probably won't get on board because now they are adults. Teenagers are young adults. We don't believe in teenagers. You go from kid, child to adult. Teenagers is a category we create. We created. But the truth is they're young adults and they have their own minds and their own ways of thinking. And if you parented poorly up to this juncture, well, there's a good chance that that they won't get on board. But that's okay. Okay, in quotation marks. That's okay for now. 
The changes Biff and Mabel implement are not primarily about salvaging their children, and it is critical that you hear that. If your motivations for changing is because the children are getting wild and out of control, then your motivations are wrong. You have to change because this is what God is calling you to do because you're sinning against God, and in a vacuum, it has nothing to do with your children. This whole process is not about the children, about salvaging them. This process, what I'm laying out for you, is about exercising faith in God by doing what he is calling you to do. The ages of the children and their spiritual maturities will, will determine whether they will respond biblically to God and to their parents. But again, how the children respond is not in the parents' hands and should not be their central purpose for changing. Repentance is a gift from the Lord. The main objective for Biff and Mabel is to get their marriage in order by repositioning themselves to serve their union, to serve this one flesh union. You can't be God-centered unless you are truly one flesh. Once God's fame is first, and the job is a means to that end, the marriage will change, and it will impact your children. The title of this podcast is How to Change a Home from Job-Centered to God-Centered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and I know that your situation is a little different from this, and so if you want to talk, come to our free community forums. Don't forget to write a review uh, on the forum, on the platform that you listen to this. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.